Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon from lead pastor Jamie Miller. I am so thankful for our church, just that we get to do what we get to do with the people that we get to do it with. And Kim and I just we say thank you to the Lord every time we're driving up here on Sundays and other times, and just it's just a prayer that's always on our hearts. And we want uh, we want for all of us we want gratitude to be the just the accent of our of our language, right? That should be the way Christians. Christian is actually really good at that. He is one of the most thankful people I've ever met. Um, just we want that kind of language, that kind of accent to be just thankful. God has done so much. For us, and so there just continues to sustain all things and hold us together by His grace and power and love and kindness. Um, so, man, we had a, a just thank you to all the people that preached in this last little series, Live It Out in Love. We had some, we've got some great uh, speakers and communicators and preachers in the body here, and it's just a joy to see them empowered and equipped. This next uh, few weeks here, we're going to be doing uh, a little series called Family Foundations. And so this one's the priority of family. Next week will be the priority of parenting. And uh, then the following week will be the priority of marriage. And I think that's all that we're doing in this one. Um, I, <laughs> I, I do have some grandbabies that are due not, not this week, but the week after. So I'd be doing that marriage thing. So... There is a chance that I could do, change that and call it the priority of grandparenting. <laughs> you haven't heard me preach any grandparent sermons, but it's a new day for everything, right? I think it's going to be awesome. I was thinking about them this morning and thinking, wow, they're going to get to come over and we just love on them and then send them home. <laughs> I was like, this, love this. It's going to be great. So when I think of love, we're talking about the priority of family today. And when I think about love in family, what, just what comes to mind when you think about love in your family? You know, and just the stuff that started coming to mind, you know, for me, meals. I, I think of meals a lot. I think of trips. When I was in ninth grade, my summer after my ninth grade, so I'm like six, three, you know, something like that. And dad had gotten a Mazda GLC. It's this little miniature hatchback car. And we drove from uh, wherever we were living in Garland at the time to up to the East Coast, DC, Niagara Falls, slowly. I And uh, <laughs> that's a random old Three Stooges uh, reference. Uh, sorry, that's not in the notes. That, this is what happens. You just start saying stuff. Um, so, yeah, we did like 3,000, 3,500 miles or something, and my knees are up kind of by my ears, and I've got a brother and a sister, and it, just, it was all the things that go along with trips and that kind of love being experienced together. You know, the don't even think about, this is airspace, and don't even think about Sticking a finger in through it. Oh, man. Rugged. But love is somewhere in all... And you guys know, I, I grew up in a musical. I've shared that with you, like Oklahoma, except it was, you know, Dad sang to us all the time, wanted us to sing at the table and 
things like that. And that make, some, some of you guys, it, makes, it feels awkward just even trying to envision that, you know. <laughs> Abby leans over to Nathan and says, let's, let's sing a song right now at dinner. <laughs> He's like, I don't know, hon. <laughs> it's awkward. Uh, in, Kim's, in Kim's family, uh, her mom, she would communicate love by the way she gave gifts. She's one of the most profound, intense, uh, prodigious, uh, continual gift givers I've ever met in my life. And she expressed love. And so all around, we could just take stories all around. There's lots of different ways that we uh, experience love in our families, and it's a beautiful thing. And so I want to talk about just how we speak into family, how we create the priority of family, and how that impacts not only our own families and our own upbringing and our future, our legacy, uh, but also how that interplays and it is interconnected with life in the church together. So let's read a great family passage at the end of one of the greatest sections of Scripture in the New Testament, Ephesians three fourteen to 21. Paul wraps this all up by talking about this super high section of Scripture by talking about the Father's family. That's all of us. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Um, can, can somebody bring me down just a little bit? I want to talk just a little bit louder. I feel like I'm going to hurt you guys. Uh, from whom this, the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and high, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to Him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. So we are a, a part of God's family. There is an interconnectedness for all of us. And in our families, they can be a source of incredible blessing, but they can also be a source of incredible trial to us because they're our closest relationships. You know, it's, 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 it doesn't hurt us as much if somebody's really far away and they do something we don't like. But if somebody does something that's really close to us and they do something we don't like or they think something we don't think they should think or they have different perspectives about stuff, that hurts us more. That's harder. That's a harder thing to deal with. So family then is the front line of where we learn about the love of God. Marriage is the front line of that. Parenting is the front line of that. Interconnectedness at the family level, relationships, roommates, however your family right now is, is whatever it looks like. We'll go over some of that in just a minute. But out of that strength or out of that weakness, whichever one it is, we move out into other circles of relationship and life. And out of that strength or weakness, we walk in health, wisdom, joy, peace. Or out of that brokenness, we bring with shards of that pain in, into our other experiences. And, and, and we do things sometimes like, where did that come from? Why did I react like that? Well, a lot of times if you track all that back, there was something that happened back in here. And then it manifests when we're under pressure or we're struggling or we're hurting. And blah, you know, it comes out. And everybody, you know what I'm talking about? 
You've experienced that, that stuff. We all do. So what does family look like? Um, let's flash that first uh, Barna stat up there. This is a breakdown. This is a study Barna did last year, 2018, and this is of Christian households, okay? So the point, one of the points I'm making here is that even within Christian households, it looks lots of different ways, okay? So it's not just mom, dad, and two point whatever kids, right? So it's the nuclear family, that's a quarter of the church. And, and maybe we have a higher percentage, you know, but I know we've got a lot of singles here. So 17% roommates, that's going to be a lot of the church, people that are single uh, or, you know, having a roommate or college, that kind of thing. Couples, 14% without kids or empty nesters. Either they don't have kids yet or they're empty nesters. That's, that's us. Um, so uh, 12% multi-generational. You got grandpa or grandma, somebody living, living with the family, a multi-generational family. 12% single parent households. That's all of this, all of this, we want to address all of the, everybody matters in this family journey, right? So 5% then is a grown-up child living in the nuclear family. Anybody know about that? That still happens, right? Uh, and then 17% is some kind of combination of all of those others. That makes sense. So there's a lot of diversity in the way that that kind of gets expressed. And Barna also found, hit that next one, Barna also found key characteristics that marked spiritually vibrant households. Not surprising, quality time, right? Everybody, some, that's your language, love language? Raise your hand. It's different people. I, I just time. Yeah, I don't know you love me until you spend time with me. That's, what that, that's the quality time piece. Encouragement. How many would say words of affirmation would be like your love language? You really like, that's, that's me for sure. Um, that's why I always, I still have the bullseye of encouragement. That's my birthmark. It's right there. You can shoot me with encouragement anytime. Forgiveness. Huge. If you're going to walk in health in the family, forgiveness is going to play a big role. Hospitality. Another vibrant uh, mark in, in households. Community involvement, fun. Kim would just be, she was relentless about fun. I would come in to the family time in the mornings. I am Moses coming off the mountain, hair blowing in the wind. And thus saith the Lord to these little children, little three-year-old, seven-year-olds. And I've, you know, here it is. And she's like pulling me aside afterwards and Jamie, it's got to be fun. It's got, you gotta make this fun. We've got, they've gotta laugh. They're not gonna wanna do this if you're doing that all the time. <laughs> right? That's, that's the truth. So kid, and then kids are a catalyst for that vibrancy, including a vibrant faith. Now, if you think about it, kids really do make you wanna live for God. They make you wanna do the right stuff and not watch the wrong stuff. Somebody say amen out there. So I um, read an interesting book this past week by a dear friend, Drew Stedman. Um, he's the U.S. Director for Antioch for Church Planting and a uh, good friend. And um, he wrote a book. He's written a couple, but this, this latest one is called The Gospel According to Culture. And I would commend that, that book to you, The Gospel According to Culture. And he kind of breaks things down. He says, we're in a great worldview struggle right now 
in our country. There's a, there's a, they we're struggling for what's the prevailing, this is just the way it is kind of stuff. And so you've got cultural Christianity, and he says everybody over 40 kind of understands this. And that is just, just we want to live, we want to do right, want to live by the Bible, and just there's that general sense of you do what the Bible says, and those are the prevailing morals and that kind of thing. And he said, but people under 40, it's much more humanism is much more the prevailing worldview, which is a self-centered, it's not new, but it's just taking on new, uh, uh, just a new level of intensity in the last 20 years. And social media and all kinds of things that have really self at the center of that is, is driving that. And again, there's, humanism would be like, uh, it, there's, there, there are positives in it. It's not just like it's all bad. It, there's some overlap. There really is. Like it would be like love your neighbor would be a huge value in a humanistic frame, but it's love your neighbor out of center, uh, self at the center. So even things like service gets clouded and it's not just straight service. It's service that leads to self-actualization that helps me become all I can be. And so it's like a big giant self-help thing on steroids to an X factor. That's, that's what's going on there. And so what he's promoting, what we would obviously promote, is more of a, a kingdom worldview. The kingdom of God, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he reveals the love of God through his life and ministry and death and resurrection and ascension and coming again and the pouring out of the Spirit, all of those things, that is the kingdom worldview. And it's the that we are loving not because it just fulfills us, although it does, but we're loving because God models for us other-centered, self-giving agape in all that he does from eternity past, through his life, through his death, all of that. So, so that's, that's kind of the things that are, that are happening, and we want to be kingdom people. We want to have kingdom relationships. We want to have kingdom life in our families, and that's the, that's the priority of families. So here's the, if I'm going to pour, boil this thing down to one sentence, it's this, the main thing. The family, in the house and in the church, is where we learn to receive and give love with grace and truth. Okay, so we want to be receivers of that love so that we can be givers of that love. We want to be givers of grace to one another, but we also want to speak the truth to one another. Uh, uh, James quoted John 1.14 earlier, you know, that we've seen, you know, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. He's the one and only. He has revealed to us grace and truth. He comes with grace and with truth. And so, like when you read all of the New Testament letters and stuff, you, you know, one of the things you see is they always get to a point where they're telling you, do this, don't do that. They proclaim the grace of God, all these letters, but then they say, hey, there's stuff that's going to hurt you. There's stuff don't do because it's like a parent going, don't run out in the street. It's going to hurt you. Don't touch the hot burner on the stove. It will burn your hand. And you can even get angry almost like, no, don't do that out of a heart of what's best for your children. God does that with us. No, don't do that. You're tearing your life up. Don't do that. So in the house and in the church, these two points, I I wrote them down separately in the house and in the church, but they go together. 
it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to separate them. I mean, they're just even if you read the New Testament letters, so often it's an exhortation to the church that's followed up by an exhortation to the family. This is how you live in your house, but this is how you live in the church. And how many of us are totally helped by in our house by how we're exhorted to live in the church? And, and then our families become this place where we develop more and more character and life and wholeness, and then we bring that health and life and wholeness to the church. So we are a family of families. Just this whole, the, again, I was talking with someone before the service this morning about uh, the, the Trinitarian God that we serve, the, the triune God of love, the relational God of love, and that, that there is a oneness, but there's a distinction in our families, that's a beautiful thing. There's a husband and a wife. There's kids. And we don't merge into each other, you know, and we just get codependently, can't function as an individual. But we also don't just push back and push ourselves so far away that we're not a part of this whole. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful way of being in the image of God. God calls us to, to live that way. So these, these things go hand in hand. I was reading from Ephesians. And, I, you know, uh, Ephesians and Colossians were probably written really close to each other, and they've got a lot of similar things, say it in different ways. They, uh, high Christology, to, you know, talking about the, the lordship and the reign of Jesus Christ and how that gets worked out in the church and all these beautiful metaphors of the church in Ephesians. And then you've got the prayer uh, that, that I just read earlier, but it goes on, it talks about how to live. This is the way you live. Live in the light. You know, don't go to bed angry. Uh, no brawling. It's just one of my, we got into that at the office the other day. No brawling. I always think like West Side Story or something. It's just, maybe you're like, hey, easy. Brawling, brawling was a big part of my past. I really struggled with it. Be kind, love one another, live in the light, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and be devoted in your families. And then it gets, you know, that, that it gets to the family part. Submit to one another. Wives submit to husbands. Husbands love wives like Christ loved the church. Husband, uh, wives, respect your husband. Husband, love your wife. There it is again, as, he, as you love yourself. Children and parents, Here's that, that famous, children, obey your parents. This is the first command with a blessing. You're going to live long in the land when you obey your parents. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Something similar is going to be said here. We'll look at Colossians in just a second as well. Uh, instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So you've got these, these family and church exhortations all just kind of mixed together. Turn back a couple pages to Colossians. Again, similar, the supremacy of Christ. Paul's laboring, like God's done this. When you were enemies, he came and set you free. Live in his way now. Live in his life. Live in the way of Jesus. Even be willing in the church to let following Jesus in the way of the cross be visible to others so that they can see that, man, we're not done. There's sufferings we undergo. There's persecution. There's endurance that we stand firm in the face of. And but be encouraged because Christ is in you. And he's the hope of glory. Of everything being made right, Christ is in you. So we proclaim him. And he goes on and he says, um, 
live a life that's rooted and built up in him, strengthened. And he is the, uh, the savior and the Lord. He's overcome the enemy. He's made a public spectacle of the enemy and disarmed the powers, triumphing over them by the cross. The reality is in Christ. And then he gets on in chapter three to these rules for living again. So this is the way you live. Set your mind on things above. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on the Lord because he's coming. He's our life and he's coming again and we're going to be made like him. So keep, let's keep our eyes on put to death whatever belongs to the earthly nature. Don't live that way. Live in a way that's being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of the creator. And don't live with the visions. There's no Jew. There's no Greek. There's no slave or free barbarian, uh, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free. We're to live as one people. And that oneness is to be then marked by compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with each other and forgiving. I mean, this is great stuff for the church, but it's also for our houses. Forgive as the Lord forgave you over all these virtues Put on love, which binds them all together in unity. So, and then he gets down. Okay, now we've been talking about the church, the church, the church. And then again in Colossians, rules for Christian households. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. Okay, so... One of the things Paul's concerned about is like, there's some things that we have some proclivity to do, right? So, uh, you know, maybe wives, it might be, I'm not going to listen to what you have to say, you know? And so he says, come under, be willing to come under. That's what that word means, come under. Uh, Husbands, love your wives just like Christ loved the church. Lay down, have a lay down your life frame of reference for your wife. If you do that, man, things are going to go great in the house. We'll talk about that some more in a couple weeks. Um, but, uh, but there's some proclivity though too. Like, don't be harsh with them. Guys, don't be harsh. Children, obey your parents. This pleases the Lord. There's a blessing that's promised. So the proclivity then would be not obedience, but disobedience. I mean, if, they, if a child, so that's what he's warning against. Um, fathers, man, fathers get double warnings here. Uh, don't embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. What does he say back in Ephesians? What was the phrase? Don't exasperate. Man, this is one of the things that like, as we, one of the things that really helps us in being in families and then bringing leadership into the church is don't exasperate people. Don't, don't be so hard that when you start seeing people go, I can't, that's too much, I can't do it, it just, people go, I'm going gonna, gonna to stop trying. You ever see this happen with your children, maybe? So, um, I'm not going to say which child, but, but one particular really um, extroverted of our children, her, the, the body, the body, <laughs> Uh, oops. Uh, body language, man, just so, you know, you, you know, like 90% of communications are bodies and, you know, and all that. And so we're shouting. We may be saying one thing with our words, but our bodies are shouting what we really think. And so we would have these conversations 
and go, look, you know what, what, what happened this afternoon? Man, that is just that we can't do that. You're shouting. I'm saying you, you need to do this and you're saying you're going to do it, but your body, the tensed up, standing up, sliding backward, moonwalk thing across the floor is shouting, I don't want to do that. And so let's talk this through. And then it might take a little while longer, even to just, even that night, we run into trouble and, and just go, okay, we're going to, I could see when it was coming overwhelming. That's my point is what does exasperation look like? It, it actually has a look when the, the kid starts going, I can't do this. This is too much. And we need to back, we back up. Just practically, we back up and say, the way we would do it is, okay, tonight's Tuesday, we're just about done for tonight. I think we've done all that we can do, but we're not done. We're going to come back to this on Thursday night, you know, and there's that perseverance piece of just working through whatever the, whatever the issue was. So do these things just kind of happen or do we need to be intentional about passing these things into the lives of our children? Yeah, it's like, you know, one of the, probably one of the most practical things you could do is to spend time together praying as a family, but also spend time praying together as a couple. And also the mom has a sphere of, of, of input into all that. The dad has a sphere of input into all that. And just be praying. A lot of the ways the Lord would speak to us would be in the mornings and would be what's going on in their lives and what do we need to be ready for? How do we need to speak into that? That just, it would literally happen day to day. And sometimes it's more bigger picture than that. But, but that was a huge way that we were intentional. Uh, and I guess maybe you're hearing some of this too, is we created through our time alone in the Lord, with the Lord in the morning, and then a family time, let's say it was seven, usually something like that. We'd all gather at the table and then have some time where we talked about the things of God together. Every morning, except for Saturdays, because that was when leadership community was. That's what we called it back in the day. Does that make sense? And just you create space for talking about the things of God. I remember early on, we had a a home family night. And home family night, when the kids are little bitty, uh, it was just, we'd try to tell a Bible story, or you'd do it in a way that would be fun for them. And I'd be like the donkey in the Balaam story. You know, and they'd ride me, or we do Noah's, you know, just in, in just this big open living room there, and just crawling around on the floor and down there with them, and, and uh, just getting them to look us in the eye and listen to us as we talked. All those are just important parts of, you know, creating the priority of family. So let me just change gears here a bit and just focus a little bit more on how that gets worked out in the church, because the, the church is. All these same things that we're talking about, we want to have family kind of life that's oneness with all the diversity that makes up the church. We want to see that, see that happen. And there's a flavor to our love for one another. And I, I really want to come back to the love piece that you would know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, that you'd be rooted and established in that love. Um, Paul is probably the most quoted ancient writer, right? Apostle Paul. I mean, just think about marriages alone. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, y'all know the passage, right? It's kind of a shame that it mainly gets read 
at weddings. And so I want to read it this morning in talking about love in families and love in the church. Because it's this really like, it's, it's like a big time word if we'll receive it like that. You know? And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I gain nothing. I mean, okay, so like I know everything. I'm the most knowledgeable person ever. I'm always right. I've got a prophetic insight to the revelation from heaven, and I speak it forth. I fathom all mysteries, all knowledge, but if I don't have love, it counts for nothing. Like, that's, that's a big word. Wow. If I give all I possess to the poor, I'm the most, you're a radical giver, but I'm a more radical giver. I'm one of the most radical givers that's ever given. But if I don't have love, it's, it's nothing. In fact, he goes on and says, if I surrender my body to the flames, like not only am I so in, I've got a martyr gift. You only get to use that gift once. But I use it. But if I use that gift without love, I've missed it. I gain nothing. Love is patient. What is it like? It's patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Oh, come on. Isn't that a blessing just to think about love that's not proud? Not enforcing our rightness on other people? Man, come on. This is just... This would be awesome in families. This would be awesome in the church life. It's not proud. It is not rude. No more, no more rudeness gets to be in with love. It's not self-seeking. There goes the humanism part. It's not easily angered. Oh, here's one of my favorites. It keeps no record of wrongs. Isn't that great? So we're loving with God's love but we're not keeping a record of wrongs. That's what love looks like. No record of wrongs. All the stuff that's happened, I I know it happened, but by the grace that you've been given in Jesus Christ and forgiven and loved, use that to forgive and love others. Oh, man, this is like, this incredible good news. It keeps no record of wrongs. It always protects, excuse me, but, but rejoices with the truth. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, isn't, isn't that great? I just, I just, that is fascinating to me. And that's what it's going to feel like in our families when we put the right priority with Jesus Christ as Lord and have a kingdom culture in our families, but also have that in the church. And the reason I say these two things together, it's like they're always feeding each other. It's not just one or the other. I'm doing the church thing or I'm doing the family thing. They feed together. Our, our, you know, part of the joy of our family was getting to raise our kids in church life like this. That's what made it so powerful. We would dream, what's it going to be like when Emily was two and a half to raise her in church life like this? That, that was just, that was a, that was a, that was a beautiful thing. It's just this swirling upward helix of growth in God together. Beautiful. Now, that 
passage, and it makes me want to ask this question, and that is, will we love other people in our family or in the church even if we disagree with them? We're going we're gonna to love other people even when we disagree with them. Man, that's a great... I'm just talking about families and love today. <laughs> Everybody's getting quiet. Um, but, but it's the disagreement part that challenges us. And in a polemic culture that we're living in right now, and some of the... It, it's just everything's just black and white and just the issues are just... They're so polemicized that we have to really do a deep dive deep on the love of God getting in our hearts so that even when we're communicating grace with truth, that love is what is marking our communication. In families, in the church, as we go out into different spheres of life and what we're doing in the world, will we love others even when we disagree with them? And in the church, somebody disagrees with me about whatever the issue is. There's all kinds of hot button issues right now. But the question would then be, will you let me love you even if we disagree? Or do you have to impose your thing on me in order to receive love from me? It's just a big deal. We're going to love others even if we disagree. And will you let us love you even if we disagree with you? So, amen. You know, one of the things I'm, I'm realizing, uh, this, we want to be marked as kingdom, worldview, Jesus Christ is Lord. It's different here than it is, we, we can't necessarily enforce everything that we think. We can help, encourage, advocate, we can come under and speak truth, but we can't make somebody who doesn't count Jesus as Lord believe like they're a person that would hold Jesus as Lord. Does that make sense? So uh, a couple weeks ago, there's a, some kind of an atheist uh, convention or something happening downtown. Have anybody heard, heard about this? And so there's signs downtown, and they come down eventually, but it says, in no God do we trust. And so I was talking with Yancey uh, Smith and a few others, and just, what do you think? And Yancey recommended this book to me that I would recommend to you guys, because I want you to be encouraged. You don't have to like, ah, sky's falling in a place where there's freedom of speech. Like stuff like that, you know, it's, that doesn't affect you in the sense of you're going to keep believing that Jesus is Lord. So this book is by Rodney Stark. This guy down at Baylor, done all kinds of famous studies on Christianity. And uh, this book is called America's Blessings, How Religion benefits everyone, including atheists. And he, it's, an, it's a fascinating study. And, and one of the things he does is he studies uh, people who are less religious or irreligious to those who have a high value for religion. The, the, the highest marks is they go to church every single week. Weekly attendance. And I'm going to just read through some of these. For example, at all ages... Religious people are much more, uh, much less likely to commit crimes. Okay, that makes sense. You start, but he's putting numbers and statistics on this. Religious Americans are far more likely to contribute 
to secular charities. I guess I can read some of these off this. Uh, to secular charities, volunteer their time socially, to beneficial programs, and be active in c- civic affairs. Religious Americans enjoy superior mental health. They are happier, less neurotic, and far less likely to commit suicide. Give me some more. Religious Americans enjoy superior physical health, having an average life expectancy more than seven years longer than that of irreligious. It's, it's, it's good for you to go to church, like physically. Religious people are more apt to marry and less likely to divorce, and they express higher degrees of satisfaction with their spouses. They are also more likely to have children. One of the things, Kim, I read this to Kim yesterday, and she goes, well, what about those statistics that say that Christians have the same divorce rates as non-Christians? Well, that, again, remember, we live in an era of cultural Christianity, where a lot of people say they're Americans and therefore they're Christian. Let's have some kind of identification with Christian. But about 40% would say they're born again, even maybe 48, born again, and then a lesser amount, an evangelical, however we define that. But only 9% of Americans who identify themselves as Christian have a biblical worldview. And that's like six basic vanilla kinds of things, like believe the Bible's inspired, there's a devil, he's real, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and he's the only way to God, that he's coming again. Just, I mean, just basic, basic, not like, you know, out there theology, but just the most core basic thing. That's 9% of those who identify themselves as Christian. So, and, and then you mix in like couples that are actually praying together you know, I mean, the numbers go, they're, they're not anywhere close. I'm, I'm preaching too much about this. I need to stop. Um, so uh, religious husbands are substantially less likely to abuse their wives or children. Keep going. Religious couples, uh, sorry, uh, kids, more uh, enjoy their sex lives more and are far less likely to have extramarital affairs. Religious students perform better on standardized achievement tests. This is amazing, really. I mean, if you think about it. I just, all I do, I just want you to be encouraged. Like, who you are, what you're doing, your life with God, living life under the word of God, having a biblical world, it matters. You don't have to be afraid that somebody else has a different perspective than you. Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, religious Americans are far less likely to have dropped out of school, which is especially true for African Americans and Hispanics. Religious Americans are more successful, obtaining better jobs, far less subject to being on unemployment or welfare. This is true not only for whites, but also for African Americans. In the last couple, although portrayed as ignorant Philistines, religious Americans are more likely to consume and sustain high culture, the arts, those kinds of things. Religious people are far less likely to believe in the occult, paranormal phenomena such as Bigfoot, UFOs, Atlanta, ghosts, Atlantis, ghosts, Atlanta. Atlanta's real. I'm going on record. Atlantis, haunted houses and astrology. And then at the very end of the book, he goes, look, if that's not enough for you, I'm going to just put it in monetary terms. He does it very conservatively, but it comes up with a number out of all of those things where divorces don't happen, people don't go to jail, crime's not happening, it's lowered, all those kinds of things, and puts a $2.7 million saved per year by people being religious and going to church on a weekly basis. That's a million? $2.7 trillion. Huge number. Huge number. Okay. 
So y'all stand up. So what we want to do is we want to be people that from the inside out, from our hearts out, from our families out, from our church life out, we're living this life. And and this is, you know, one of the deals is, uh, is this a... Is this a growth? If this is a growth area, then man, let's press in for prayer, for growth. And if you're already like, man, my family rocks, then you're probably in a great position to go, what's next? If you're already like, it's just rocking along, what's next? What are new things that God wants me to grow into? And for anybody that just needs prayer about this whole just genre of, of, of conversation, like, man, God wants to bring healing to the past wholeness for the future, help that only Jesus can bring. So let's pray and respond to him. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you. And would you just bring great wholeness, health, healing where it needs to happen. Uh, Lord, bring healing from the past as only you can do. Give grace to forgive as only you can. We love you so much. Bring your hope here in Jesus' name. Amen. So just respond. We're going to take a few minutes. And it may be that somebody's there with you close. Go ahead and pray. Just Let's just, just stir up prayer right now. Father, meet us here as we respond, as we pray together. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, if you need prayer, come get it.